Welcome to the Lindsay Holder Podcast. Gain tips on how to run a successful small business, as well as how to keep yourself looking good while you do it. Here are your hosts, Lindsay Holder Reinhardt and Ashley Rinkin. We're recording our first video recording, Ashley and I, with the podcast. I'm super excited. And Jennifer Mormon is our first guest. So welcome, Jennifer. I'm so excited. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. And it's perfect timing because Jennifer has a new book coming out. We're going to talk about that a little later, but it's like such a celebratory moment. So we're so thrilled to have you. Just to let the audience know, we found Jennifer... I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. I really do. <laughs> but we found you through there. So yeah. that was kind of cool. We've had some good contacts actually come out of it, which is nice. What are your thoughts on Instagram? Like, what do you do? You- Instagram is probably my favorite. I do. I mean, I have similar feelings about social media in general. You know, I get so many wonderful things out of it. And so I try to focus on those rather than the things about it that I really just don't enjoy or like. But Instagram, I feel like is a more positive platform for me, whether it's, you know, who I'm following or who I'm contacting. But I have been able to connect with really the coolest, nicest people who I feel like are my people on Instagram. So whether it's the images that kind of people are drawn to that are my people, I don't know. But I would say at least 95%. I really do love Instagram. Oh, that's awesome. I guess I've just got so much going on. I'm like, oh, I don't have time to edit this picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that I completely understand. I this caption. Yeah, it's a lot of extra work. You know, if you're on Instagram for a business, it's really a lot of work. I mean, honestly, but if you're on it for just fun and you're scrolling, I think it's probably fantastic. Oh, man, I love that. I could just do it for fun. <laughs> just mindless looking at pretty things or food or whatever. I mean, that is fun, but the business aspect can get a little bit heavy sometimes. So that I understand. I will say this is one of Ashley's questions actually later on, but I think it ties in really well. She has said that she loves your flat lays. That is my question. Ooh. Oops. <laughs> but I do love, all right, then I'm going to, I'm going to, jump on in here and say it. I do love your flat lays. And one thing I remember seeing this on Instagram and I was attracted to the cover. I know we're not supposed to judge a book by cover, but I read and I totally do. And all of your flat lays are beautiful. I think books you actually are supposed to judge, Ashley. The the motto is don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. But I think an actual book, we kind of do. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, I do make my own flat lace. You do? Oh my goodness, wait a minute. Do you bake the stuff in them too? I do. Yes. What? <laughs> I do. Those are real. Those are that's real creep. I, I'm stunned because I was thinking to myself, uh uh-uh, uh, she doesn't bake that stuff. She's got a professional like artist and all that. I am stunned. What about the cover of the book? Is that you? No, that's actually not me. So my book covers are designed by one of my best friends. And we've been friends for 20 plus years. She is an amazing, amazing, I would just say artist. She's not just a graphic designer. She does all kinds of things. And I literally think she can do anything. And we've just been friends for so long. When the Baker's Man, when I got ready to do that cover, I mean, she's obviously the person that I went to first to say, hey, got this crazy idea. I'm going to do a book. Do you think you can make a cover for me? And I love that cover. I mean, she's so magical. You know, we have like a, we share a lot of that. So just able to bring such a, 
magical, warm, like sparkly feeling to my covers. Yes. So that's not me. And people ask me a lot of the covers, none of them are us, you know, but she puts those pieces together. It's actually pretty hard to get a photo of yourself or you. Because that looks, I mean, that really, I picture, I'm like, that is you. I mean, we could probably take a picture like that, but at the time, you know, you really need a nice camera. We didn't have things like that. So we did buy images, purchase images to piece together to make that cover. But I do make all that stuff you see. I mean, I love to bake. So, so then this is another question I have because in reading the book, I will say to all the viewers, listeners out there, I read at night and I almost got out of my bed with that chocolate ganache story. I was like, mm, I want some of that too. Do you make up the recipes in your book? Like all that stuff? Like, is that like you? Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. And you know, those are recipes. So there is chocolate ganache. So I mean, I know how to make all that stuff. So it does help if you're going to write anything that you either research it or you can actually do it yourself. So yeah, I did make everything that's in that book. I have made. And if I had not made it when I wrote the book, I did a recipe. I made it for the first time, I guess you could say. So you do need a cookbook to go along with that, like a sweet treat. Like it would be such a bonus to have that with it. I don't know. That is such a great idea. I've really thought about that a lot. I do have um, lots of people ask me about it because I posted a bunch of my recipes on a blog and just for fun, like I call it cooking through fiction. And a lot of it is inspired by my books or just other books. Cause you know, we read a lot of things that you think, Oh, I would like to make that. And I've thought about that, but you know, making a cookbook is also like a big adventure, really food photography. Like you're so kind to say that my food photography is good, but I feel like that's a whole nother skill level that I just don't have. So I think that's part of it is I'm like, gosh, how would I take pictures that look so beautiful? Like a, you know, a cookbook. I love looking through cookbooks. Oh yes. They're so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about your journey on how you got to be a writer and not only the Baker's Man, but your previous books as well. I can't wait to hear about this. Well, I've always been a writer. I just didn't know that I was any different than anybody else. I've been writing little stories literally since I was a little girl, but I thought that everybody did that. I don't know if y'all have ever done something and it's really unique to you, but you don't realize it when you're growing up because you just kind of think that everybody does the same stuff. So I had always been writing and it wasn't until like the Baker's Man came out in 2012 And that came out in May. So literally January of that year, I thought I've been telling people for years that I love to write, but I wasn't taking it seriously. You know, I was just kind of like, that's a hobby. It's something fun I do, but I love it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to keep telling people I'm a writer, then I got to write something and I've got to finish it and I want to publish it. And that's what I did. So literally in January of that year, I started writing and I finished the book probably like in three months because I just... I knew what the story was. I just worked every day. And then that was the first one. And then I thought, well, okay, so I've, you know, I did that. And then I just got the, I don't want to, you know, just, it fills my heart with so much joy to write that I just had, I don't feel normal if I'm not writing. So it just, they just kept coming. And it just started with me basically telling myself, I'm going to write a book and finish it because I've been telling people I love to write. And then I set a goal for myself that I would write a book and finish it every year. And so far I have done that. Wow. I'm truly impressed. It took me, I've written two books and one of my books took me three years. I mean, it really depends on the content, you know, and what kind of book it is too, I think. Yes. Yes. Probably so. I thought it was not easy. And then my editor ripped it to shreds. Are you talking about me? 
because I was the editor. <laughs> no, the editor of the published one. And so ripped into shreds. And then I had to, I thought, oh my gosh. And then they asked for a ton more content because I thought I was done. And then I was like, here we go. So I did like you. I was like, okay, I have to meet this deadline. And every day I've got to write a little bit of something for it. So, yeah, I mean. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, because right now, I mean, we're all stuck inside and everything. Everybody's talking about Netflix and, you know, and, ooh, have you seen the Tiger King and all that stuff? Have you noticed an increase in your book sales? Because seriously, I'm reading about four books right now. And that's the way I skate my reality. And so have you noticed, like, is this a great time for, you know, somebody to really go for that goal? I think there's two ways to answer that. Is it a great time for someone who wants to write a book who've been putting it off because possibly they have more time to do things like that? Yes. I think it's a great time to do some of the things that you've been saying that you wanted to do because you've got a little bit more time, whether you're not having to commute or, you know, there's time lost during the day when you are going into an office every day that you get back right now, whether that's your lunch break or you just kind of got some different pockets of time that have kind of popped up that you didn't have before. I think it would be a fantastic time to focus on some things that you've always wanted to do, especially if you want to be a writer and you want to write that book, then use those times for that. An increase in sales. Yes. I think it's a, people have kind of turned to the arts in all kinds of ways, you know, Netflix, movies, music, books, things that they didn't think a lot about, like they used and they did and they consumed, but they think a lot more about it now because it's kind of what's getting them through, you know, watching the funny movie or listening to that music. I mean, it's, it's really the arts that kind of lift you back up. So I've also seen an increase in like connections with people, you know, people who maybe also didn't have time to talk about books or meet. Like I started a book club in May and I thought, well, th- is this a silly idea to do a virtual book club? Because, you know, if you've ever been in a book club with physical book club where you go to someone's house or whatever. And I thought it was kind of silly, but it has been one of the best things. Not that virtual book clubs are silly, but me hosting one, I was thinking, is this right? Right. It has been one of the best things I decided to do during this time. Like it has been just literally so uplifting. So I've seen a kind of an increase in that, just being able to connect with people that I don't know why either they've got more time or they're reading more books and they want to talk with you about books or talk about writing or whatever. So there's been really a lot of good things that have come out of kind of this restructuring of how you're using your time. I love that. I do too. How did you start the virtual book club? Did you just reach out on Facebook or Instagram or? I just was like, Hey guys, (laughs) I have a crazy idea. Is anybody interested? So I started with the Baker's man. That's the first book I wrote and published. And I was like, is anybody interested in doing like a virtual book club? And I stretched over six weeks. So you don't have to read the whole book in like a week. Cause there were some book clubs that I saw that were like, read a book a week. I actually can't read a book a week, given all the other things that I have going on. I, I would love to be able to do that, but realistically, I can't. And if I can't check it out at the library, I don't really need to be purchasing a new book every week. You know, just, I really, I love to purchase books by my favorite, favorite authors. And if I also use the library a lot for audiobooks. So if I couldn't find it that way, it just made it challenging. So yeah, I sent out a, I have a newsletter. I sent it out on Instagram. And I did a Facebook and then I just reached out to some of my like readers who really correspond with me all the time. And I was like, Hey, would y'all be interested in doing this? I created an exclusive Facebook group. So I post things on there every day. Like there's lots of free recipes on there. 
lots of questions for whatever chapters we're doing that week. So like over five or six weeks every week. And then on Saturdays, we have a virtual Zoom book club chat. And it's, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. It has been so fun because the girls are from all over the world. There's even a couple of guys in there. Literally, there's a couple of guys in there, which is totally fine too, right? There's a, a librarian who's a really good friend of mine out in Idaho. He pops in on Saturdays when he can. So it's just been a, like a cool experience. So that's, it was a crazy idea that I had, but I guess I needed to do it because it has given all of us a really fun, happy place to go to every week. Yeah. And that's kind of what the girls have said. Yeah. I like hearing the small business part of how you're building that and you got Zoom and you pivoted and did a virtual club and you did your newsletter, Facebook. I know that just because you're an author doesn't mean like it just everybody comes like you still have to work and connect. And yeah, it's like a true business. Absolutely. And you probably encounter this too. People like to be invited to things. You know, you can't assume that if you post something and you're like, hey, come listen to my podcast or come listen to whatever I'm doing. If you reach out to them personally, they're way more likely to come because it feels sometimes when you send things out into the Internet or whatever, it's kind of like the void. And they think, oh, that would be fun. But she probably doesn't really care if I show up or not. You know, it wouldn't be a big deal to her. But if you reach out to people and you say, I'd love for you to be here because you really would love for that person to be there, they're way more likely it feels so personal and they're just more likely to show up and feel like, oh, you want me to come and hang out with you? And you're like, of course I do. But not everybody knows that. So I do think you've got to kind of put it out there and put a little bit of legs under and ask them. You just gave me like the best ideas to do like a virtual Zoom call or Google Meet with like other small business owners to see if we all could connect. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think about you, like if I called you and I was like, hey, do you have time for a chat? Like you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Right. Rather than me sitting around thinking, well, I hope Lindsay wants to chat with me. (laughs) But if you don't ask, honestly, if you don't ask, you're never going to know. And it's always going to be a no if you don't ask. So you might as well just ask them and just see what they say. And my surprise, I had a lot of people wanting to be in this book club. It like shocked me. I was like, what? Okay. And it has been so fun. And if I hadn't just like gotten over the weirdness of I'm inviting people to my own book club, right? I would not have had such a wonderful experience. And we've literally been running all like since May, it's August. And they want to keep going until I think we're going to break right before Halloween, right for the holidays. Cause you know, holidays are so full of so much that I think we'll take a break and like, cause they don't want to stop. No. And it does, it complements like the new book coming out because then they're going to, they're getting to know you. They're excited about that. So then they'll want to purchase your next book too. And your past ones too. Yeah. And I feel like we're friends. I mean, we talk every week. It's just been really nice. That's real. I love that. Now, how did you get marketing out for all of your books? Was it grassroots? Did you have a PR person, an agency? Like what? No, it's me. (laughs) Facebook ads. What did you do? Gosh, a grassroots, I guess is what you can call it. Like, are you like, if you're single, like, are you your grassroots? I mean, is that even a team? So I just ask a lot of questions. I read a lot. I, golly, you know, I'll reach out to people who are a little bit farther along than I am to ask them what works for them, kind of probably similar to what you do. You know, what's worked for you? What hasn't? And I've tried all kinds of things. I've never hired a PR firm. It's incredibly expensive. And PR is what people don't know. 
it's a wonderful tool, but it's also cyclical. Like it comes in stages, like a lot of PR for your book release. And then you don't really need PR for a while, but you've got to have little ways that you can kind of make up for that space in between your book release or your new movie or whatever it is. So to pour that kind of money into it is better if you're just starting out or small business to kind of figure out how can I do this on my own? You know, what kind of team can I put together or who can I talk to? Who's got maybe a little bit more experience. And there are a lot of people who have more experience who are willing to talk to you. If you just ask, because it's not like you're giving away secrets. You know, they started out where you were too. And so I find a lot of people are very helpful. I like that. Yeah. They're like, and don't do this too. Like do this, but don't do this. Yeah. And you know, what works for you might not work for me. So it's definitely worth trying a lot of things, but yeah, a lot of trial and error. So what are a couple of things? So would it be, for instance, like writing with somebody else's blog and they write on yours or what are a few things that have worked for you? Gosh, that's a great question. I think collaborations are really great. They're a great way to introduce. I think the most important thing is to find people, if you're an author or whatever market you're in, is to find people who are like you because you're an author or a small business. Not every small business, even in your own field, is just like yours. So the best thing is to find people that you have a lot in common with. Like for me, other authors who write in my genre or other authors whose personalities seem to be very close to mine. I think it's important to look at the people who are your peers that are a lot like you, that you feel like you really connect with. And then also look at the people who are way more advanced than you are, who are, who've gotten farther along in the trail and see what it is they do. It's not, I wouldn't even think it was like copycatting. It's just what works for them and then making it, twisting it, turning it, whatever, into your own voice. Yeah, not reinventing the wheel. Exactly. You do not have to. I mean, I've even heard, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of blogs and stuff, but really it's just exactly what you said, not reinventing the wheel, looking at what someone's doing who's really successful, reading what they're posting, reading what they're writing on their blogs, and then having it inspire you to do your thing in your own voice. Because you know, everything has already been said, but it hasn't been said by you. So I think there's a way to take what's really working well for them. There's a good chance it's going to work well for you if you make it authentic and in your own voice. So I feel like collaboration has worked really well for me. You know, networking as much as I want to say I'm completely introverted, I'm sort of probably in between the two. Networking was not something that came easy to me because I'm a little bit shy and a little bit, I think I worried a lot more about self-promoting and feeling like that was egotistical. Yeah. Once I got past the fact that you work really hard at what you do, it's okay to be proud of what you do. You're not egotistical because you want to talk about a product that you have that you worked really hard to do. So once I kind of got past that, I really think networking as an author is really important. Reaching out to libraries when you could. Um, you can read in libraries. You can do book clubs, you know, reaching out to on Instagram, bookstagrammers who might seem to read books in your genre or, you know, if it's a heavy murder mystery, bookstagrammer, it's probably not going to be geared toward my kind of book. So right. I just feel like it's really important to look for people who are like you and then start to kind of study them in a non-creepy way <laughs> and see what they do that, you know, and then if you feel comfortable, reach out to them. I'm always like, you know, you, you fangirl people, right? You know, and you just really feel like you know people and they become your friends, even if you don't know them. And then just reaching out and asking them whether it was like a Facebook ads I have tried. Okay. I think they're interesting and don't work well for me. But I have had another author friend who they work fabulous for. Did you have a Facebook ad expert do it? 
or did you run them yourself? I did them myself after doing a lot of research and studying. Okay. So you studied how to do it. Yes, exactly. I mean, as for hiring someone else, honestly, unless I can't do it myself, I will hire it out. So I'm not against hiring out for things. If you really, if it's not your skill set, I do think it's important to know that and to find people that is their skill set. But if I can figure it out, I certainly try to do it first. I just don't think Facebook ads work for everybody. That's kind of the thing. I think it's definitely worth trying. I've done giveaway ads like through Goodreads. I think that was like kind of okay. I've done BookBub. They do, I've had the most success or I had the most success with BookBub. So you can run kind of marketing campaigns with them. Kali, I feel like I've tried almost everything to see what works. And if it works and it's repeatable, I will keep trying it until it stops working. Yeah. And then I'll just go to something new. Yeah. What about Pinterest? Do you promote on Pinterest? Gosh, I don't. I kind of feel like it's one of those things where you have to pick where your platform is. Like to have a main platform that you really love, that you can work well, and then maybe have a second one. But when you start getting more than two and and you're trying to run a business, I don't think you can do all of them very well. Or you hire six VAs. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or you hire a lot of people to help you. So... I know Pinterest works well. So it seems like Instagram and Facebook are your two platforms. It's good for other authors to know on how to market their books and what is working and and what's not working. Because there's a ton of trial and error with that. And also, all your books are self-published. Correct. Right? Yeah. So that is a learning curve. Huge. Oh, my gosh. All in (laughs) itself. Yes. To be honest, I really wish that I self-published my second book. So I really do. And I did my first one. And I don't even remember how I did that. (laughs) Like it was so long ago, I'm going to have to relearn and everything. But share with uh, everybody here, is it easy to self-publish? Or how did you learn about that? Or any challenges that you had with that? Goodness, it's easy compared to not having to do it yourself and be traditionally published and they do everything for you? No. The benefits for me for independently publishing is that I do have complete control over everything I do. You know, so if I am my covers, my text, my content, how I want to promote it, how all of that is really, I have complete control, everything. So I think for that, it's wonderful. I think there are lots of pros about traditional publishing as well. One of them being you do have the potential of having a whole team who will do all of this for you. So self-publishing is definitely a learning curve. And because I started so long ago, they've had lots of advancements that do make it easier now than they had then. Oh, yes. You have to, you have to be in control of your cover design. You've got to find a cover designer. The interior of your book has to be formatted properly. So for a print paperback, it's formatted a certain way. For an ebook, it's formatted another way. And the tricky thing about ebooks is each company, if you will, like Apple, Kindle with Amazon, Nook for Barnes and Noble, Kobo, those all have different kinds of ebook formatting. So it's, it's tricky. Do you do those yourself or do you have it out? Yes. Oh, wow. No. And I'll tell you why. When I first started with the Baker's Man, it really was a monetary thing. I was a newbie. You know, I did not have a lot of expendable cash to hire all that stuff out. So I just self-taught myself everything. (laughs) So now I just know how to do it. It's faster and easier for me. I guess I could probably hire it out. But at this point, I'm like, why would I? Because it's not complicated for me now. But yes, if you're just starting out, it's good to take that into consideration that the formatting of your book matters. 
you know, in editing and proofreading, I mean, I've been working in publishing for 15 plus years. So I have access to wonderful editors and proofreaders and friends who have been like following along with my books for years. So you do have to have your book edited and proofread. I mean, you know this, whatever you put out in the market is a reflection of who you are. Yes. And you're, you're an editor as well. So you have a huge advantage. Yes. I mean, I, certainly I'm not the only person reading and editing my book because I don't think that's wise because your brain fixes things automatically. Okay. That's a good point for those who are wanting to self-publish is to still have an editor Absolutely. look over everything. Absolutely. Because you know what it's supposed to say and your brain is so amazing, it will fix it while you're reading it. But other people will catch those things. You know, they'll see the little typos. They'll see, not only that, you might have inconsistencies. Let's say it's taken you three years to write your book, which is perfectly fine. If you've been researching and you've got all this stuff, your, you know, consistency may change. Or if you're a fiction writer, your character's hair may be blonde and all of a sudden it's brown because you've revised or something like they find all these little things for you. So you certainly need someone else to look at it and it needs to be the best quality you can make it before you put it out because that's a representation of you. And if your first book is not well done, why would they come back for your second one? That's true. Oh, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. You're right. We're taking a little break here to tell you how you can connect with my spa to help you towards your skincare goals. My spa is now offering virtual skin consultations where you can have a one-on-one personalized session with one of my master estheticians trained at my spa. Any skin question is welcome. You know, like, do you really need a toner? Why aren't my skin products working? We all know that one. My retinol is driving my skin crazy. What's that all about? That's a big one. (laughs) My hyperpigmentation is all over the place. Help me fix this. (laughs) These are just a sample of some of the skincare questions you may have, but it's so easy. You can just book your appointment, go to my website, my spa at organictanfaceandbody.com, select the virtual skin consultation, and you are on your way to clear, glowy skin. Again, book your consultation today, your virtual skin consultation at organictanfaceandbody.com. What are your thoughts on also when you have that book to do the audible version as well? I think that so many people really love audiobooks. I think it's a great option. And it all maybe depends on what type of book you write. I think people re- listen to all kinds of books, but I think it's also good to research your genre and see how popular that genre is. It doesn't mean you're, you don't have a good genre, but for audiobooks, you want to make sure that what you're writing in is a much downloaded genre, if that makes sense. There's some that are more popular than others, you know, and certain people want to buy that kind of book, but they want to listen to it. You know, if you've got a, let's say like a self-help book, That may be a book that you want a physical copy of, that you want to flip through. Oh, that's a great example. Exactly. And how about a devotional? You know, a devotional is a book that you open and you read every day. And I don't know if you want to write in it, but, you know, having that physical book is so different than not like you can't listen to it. But I feel like there's certain types of books that lend themselves better to people wanting a physical copy of it. For me, the Audible has been just a lot of fun to hear somebody read your book and to be part of that process. I noticed that wasn't you because I clicked on it. I was like, it was. Yes. Yeah. So that makes 
everything you outsource. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because that is not my skill set. Like for you and your podcast, you know, all the little things that need to go into being able to create it and edit it and the audio, the microphones, the people who do audiobooks are in a, like a sound room. Because even though we're all sitting here talking in our homes and it seems very quiet, there's like an air conditioner running that you would hear in the ebook. So they're in a special room. Oh, yeah. It's not that easy. I recorded my second one. I had my husband and I was actually, it's a Christian dating book and we recorded it. It's called, um, I forgot what it's called. <laughs> Waiting while dating. I was having this moment. Sorry. (laughs) Whatever it is, is great. Thank you. I had a moment there. But anyway, we had to go to the recording studio and rent that out. But it's like you can't breathe while you're recording it. You're just like, because he was like, okay, every little sound's going to pick up. So I almost felt like I sounded like a robot almost. I was scared to read the words. And then he had to cut in for his part. It was pretty difficult, actually. Well, and... Because I, I looked it up before, before I, you know, hired it out. I'm like, can I do this? You know, because I always like to just research it. And I mean, you've got to be honest and real about it. No way. And they also, one thing I thought was interesting is they want only, they read from an ebook. Like, you know, you scroll on your little iPad or whatever you've got because you can hear the pages turning. I, yep. That's another thing. That sure is. And I was like, there's no way. I don't have anywhere in my house that I could block out all the sound. I have a German shepherd. Periodically, she's going to see somebody walking by and bark. And then you'd have to redo that whole thing. I'm just like, no, I need to leave that to the professional. But it's really fun to listen to it and to hear it kind of come together. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback for the people who have bought the audiobook of it. So that's just been a fun little side thing. Well, speaking of things that only you can do, whenever I meet somebody creative such as yourself, and this is something that... I love to read, but I cannot think of a story to save my life. I mean, I just don't have the <laughs> So when the stories come to you, I am so fascinated. How did, like, do you feel it? Do the words, like, appear in your mind? Is it a whisper? Is it a visual image? I mean, how do you come up with these ideas? I'm so in awe of that. Yeah. Gosh, that's a great question. I guess, I guess for me, the stories show up, the characters show up in my head and they are, sometimes it's dialogue and I know there's a story around it. So I just finished Sweet Canary Jane, but there's already another story and characters that are just hanging out in my head. And every day it just, something more will evolve. Their stories just unfold and I can, I don't want to say it's not audible. I can't hear them talking. Yeah, I can see these scenes happening And I just write them down. I just start jotting things down so that it's like it comes to me in pieces. That's pretty much as soon as I get done with a story or I'm real near the end of it, the next story just starts showing up. Do you have to do anything to spark that creativity? I mean, do you like have a, you know, do you need to take a walk or do you need to have a, you know, a cup of coffee or I mean, I don't know. I think not really. You hear people talk a lot about writer's block. Well, I do not have writer's block. I think that you can be overwhelmed with your job, with your family, with life, and your creativity just takes a back seat. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people is that they don't give space to their creativity. But if I ever feel like my brain is just too full of something else, like not creative stuff, like just life or whatever it might be at the time. Right, right. I like to read a book. I will watch a movie that I love. So that just sort of relaxes me in a way that just kind of lets the non-stressed out version of yourself show back up, you know, so. Do you like bake to like relax yourself? 
You know, most of the time I'd say yes. If I were just baking for fun, I love to bake. If I'm not like trying to bake a cake for you that I need to bring to your birthday party, you know, if there's you know, nothing attached to it. Yeah. Just anything to take your mind off of the stressful thing, whatever it might be, you know, just something that's kind of relaxes you walk, being outside always relaxes me taking a walk. I don't feel like I do that to spark creativity as much as I do to kind of let my creativity have a space to show back up because I'm overworked or something, you know, but I don't feel like it's writer's block for me. I don't feel like I get stuck on a story. If I need to brainstorm, I have a couple of really good friends that I'll just throw them out some ideas and they'll send me something back that always helps kind of get me going again. That is so cool. I am sorry. That does not happen inside my brain. I have zero characters, zero stories. (laughs) I'm just looking at the clouds. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I guess it's just, you know, just one of those things that you have. I guess because I've always had it, that it just is part of my brain. (laughs) Well, it's great because you need readers. Yeah. You know, we can all be writers. And so, you know, so you need readers. I love that. I think of your books also like a lifetime movie story. Do you get inspired by those or? I love, love, love watching like Hallmark movies. I do feel like there's a lot of commonalities in that my books are full of like hope and encouragement and love and friendship and following your heart and overcoming obstacles and things that just really just overall like hopeful and a lot of Hallmark movies. I just feel that way too. Just watching them. They just make me happy. Like we know how they're going to end, especially like (laughs) the Christmas movies, but we love them. I mean, that's why we watch them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that's another thing. Like if I were just feeling like stressed out, honestly, when all of this, when the shutdown started, I watched Hallmark movies every day because until I could get kind of adjusted to the inundation of how like, Everything just like spun out. <laughs> so lunch with Hallmark movies. That sounds great. Yeah, it really was. It was a like a happy little bubble for me that I could be in. And, you know, they had, you know what they did? Hallmark, because they're so wonderful. They did Christmas movies. I want to say for like a month, they just randomly showed some of their favorite Christmas movies. I noticed that. And I recorded all of them and I would watch those. I mean, so I was like watching Christmas movies in March and April and But yeah, it just was kind of a happy space for me. So I appreciate the other people who make movies and books like that too for me. Maybe you could write a Christmas, like a Christmas story themed book someday. You know, I have one that is in here. Oh, do you? Okay. So Yeah, I do. I do. Because I actually, I guess it was about a month ago. It's one of those things that kind of popped up and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I hadn't had one before, so I've got the start of an idea for it. I've made notes. I've made some characters. And so So, it'll happen. I don't know if it'll be the next one, but it's in there. So, Jennifer, I'm always thinking business-wise, have you thought about pitching your books to a producer or a network? I certainly have. I definitely have thought about pitching The Baker's Man, especially for movies. You need a screenplay. So I'm still working the connections for I'm not a screenplay writer. That will be an outsourced thing. And seeing how to work that is a special agent who pitches for movies and television. So it's different than having a book agent. It's literally an agent who pitches to media, a different sort of media. So it's just trying to find the right fit, right people for that. I've actually even thought about pitching to an agent for traditional publishing just to see if I wanted to go that route and what would happen. I used to be more averse to it. And now I'm just thinking, well, I don't know. So I feel like when I get that strong push for it, I definitely will try. There's nothing wrong with, 
going a different route with it. But for the movies and the books, certainly I have a really good feeling about it. I just have to find the right connections to that because I've got really very limited knowledge on television and movies and how all that works. But I would think you're in the industry, so everybody would know somebody. Eventually, like if you follow that string long (laughs) enough, you'll end up meeting someone. So I really feel like it's going to happen. I just haven't quite gotten far enough down that path yet. And and LinkedIn is such a great source, too. There's so many connections on LinkedIn business-wise that I've met. Do you, so for business wise, do you offer coaching for other writers or? I do. Okay. Consulting. I was about to say, I don't, I don't call it coaching as much as I would call it consulting. So certainly for writers in different stages, because I have been doing this for so long and I've worked in traditional publishing for so long that there's just a really a wide span of knowledge that I have for both, you know, whether you are doing it your grassroots style, you know, what to expect, traditional publishing and just kind of helping people like navigate how to do it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's a great word. Navigate the publicity part, the marketing part, just kind of finding out what their brand and platform might need to be, you know, helping them find their own voice. If you've, you know, helped people with that, just sort of figuring out, cause you know, like I said, even though we've got maybe two authors, our brand isn't exactly the same. Our readers aren't the same and kind of helping them figure out who is it you're reading, you know, your readers and who are you talking to? Cause we're not necessarily talking to the same people if that makes sense. So certainly I've definitely helped some people and you have like different packages for that or is it like per session or honestly, it's more like a package and you know, it's so customizable because everybody, when it comes to being an author and a writer and what they're looking for in their career is so different. You know, not everybody wants to be a New York times bestseller. You know, some people, if they write children's books, they just want to get in schools or they just want to get into the library or this is, you know, not something they're trying to do as a full-time career. So it's really just a customizable thing for exactly what they're looking for. And I like to talk with them and figure out what their goals are, because again, it is so different. It's, you know, it's not like having a brick and mortar where you've got some really set things that you can follow. It just according on what, and how much time people want to put into it. And they can just reach out to you through your email or your website for the coaching. Yeah, I've got an, an on my info page, like my contact page. I've got a work with me section if people want to work with me in different ways. Some people just want to collaborate and do things that way. And some people want some help with, yeah, just navigating the book publishing world and helping them figure out which is the best way for them to get going. What about editing? Do you offer professional editing services? I don't anymore. I used to. It is so time consuming. Oh, I'm sure. Sincerely, that is the only reason. There are like two authors I still edit for because they are like two of my closest friends and I've been editing for them for so long and they don't put out a book every three months. You know, it's kind of one of those things that when they, because some people do, some people are just so prolific that they are just machines. They have like a framework that they follow. Yeah. Yes. It's incredible. Like, props to you. (laughs) But these are just two authors I've known for so long that I do. But otherwise, that's really the main thing is number one, it's incredibly expensive to charge for editing. And a lot of people aren't ready for that. Right. The time involved. I mean, it's pricey because it's a very time consuming project. So it was the struggle of, you know, how do I want to spend my time because time is so valuable. And then the frustrating part of people not wanting to pay you for the work. It's just kind of like, this is probably not something I need to still be doing. Yeah, that's true. Well, since you're also, you know, you're an author, but you're a small business owner. I tell people, 
you're a small business owner in so many ways. Like it doesn't matter if you're a blogger or you own a spa like me, or you're an author, you're still a small business owner. Like, so what do you think like has that you didn't plan on learning or having to do that? What have you learned as a small business owner? Gosh, you have the best questions. I think like what we talked about earlier, the first hurdle I needed to get over, and I would think some small business owners when they're starting out, and even when they're going is to take, you know, to be proud of what you're doing, to not, the self-promoting part is uncomfortable at first because we're taught to be humble and to not, you know, talk about yourself all the time. But there is a way to do that that is you're a business and there's a way to do that in a way that's not in people's faces. So I think that that wasn't something I was quite prepared for when I first started. And then I, once I got over that, you know, to promote yourself, um, I had to learn about publicity. I wasn't expecting that. Gosh, just how to market yourself grassroots style. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not something that you've done your whole life, you know, trying to learn what works best for you. Do you like your own bookkeeping, like everything, like your own graphics, like everything? I do, but I don't know that that works for everyone. I mean, literally, it depends on how much I'm a learner for life. So I'm going to learn a whole bunch of stuff because I also enjoy it. But, you know, I learned Photoshop. Okay. So you use Photoshop. Do you use like Canva or anything like that? Or, you know, sometimes I use Canva because I think that's a great resource, especially they offer so many things for free. Yes. You know, so many templates for free that you don't have to pay for. So certainly a small business person, if they want to get active on social media posts or doing their newsletters, I think Canva is wonderful for that because it, you don't have to have a high level of skill. I use it all the time. Oh, it's great. I mean, they offer so many things. And I'm glad you mentioned that because Photoshop is complicated. I've never had Photoshop. I looked into it and I said, forget it. I can't do it. Well, Canva wasn't a thing when I started, right? So a lot of it has to do with what, like the Adobe Creative Suite has been around for a long time. So right. that's how I learned. But if I had had Canva, I don't know that I ever would have learned Photoshop. I wouldn't have needed it. So that's a great way for small businesses. I think, you know, taking pride in your product and how you want to present yourself and looking professional, you know, that does matter. I mean, actually, we laughed about it. You don't judge a book by its cover, <laughs> but true. we do. <laughs> I mean, we do. And if you are, you know, if you find a small business that you really admire and you like the way their stuff is arranged and the way it looks on their social media, you need to mimic that in your own voice and in your own way. And that probably means you're going to have to be professional looking if you're not already there. So I do think it's important to look at that you're, I don't want to say that we're not competitors. What's the better word for that? Like they're your peers. You're all in the same market, but we don't have to compete with each other, but we're still, you know, they're at a level. If they're at the level that you want to be at, then you need to start making, be presenting yourself in a way that looks at the same level that they are. And Canva is fantastic for looking professional. And, oh yeah. Yes. And there's lots of little packages like a Shutterstock, a creative market. Creative market is amazing. I just did a podcast on that. That is a graphic designer taught me about that. And oh, I use it fonts and yes. Yeah. Stock images. And that stuff is worth purchasing because you can use it over and over again. And if you see something that's really feels like you, like your font brand or whatever. I mean, I have a font brand that we found years ago. It's literally the title of the Baker's Man, that special font. We use it on all my books. Yeah, it's beautiful and magical and whimsical. So I use it in my website. I use it in a lot of my graphics. It is. So, I, you know, for I also think it's important to you know, use your money wisely when you're going to put it out. Like we joked about outsourcing, like when it's really important, 
you know, you have to put money into your business in order to get money out of it. Sure do. Yeah. And that, that's not always an easy thing to grasp at first because you feel uncomfortable putting money out that you're not certain will come back to you, but you have to do that. And if you've done it well, that money does come back. So it's important to spend that money in the places where it really matters, whether that's graphics, you know, images that you purchase that you can reuse. And is that helpful? <laughs> no, I agree. And I outsource, I weigh my time, like, okay, how long is this going to take me? And could somebody do it better? And usually I'm in skincare and I run a business. I'm not a graphic designer. So I like to outsource that. That's just not my, I even tried the other day to, <laughs> I did a graph. I was like, I got this. I'll do it. So I did it. And then I'd send it to my VA and I asked her to do one too. And what she sent back was a thousand times better. It made mine look so embarrassing when I created. Well, but that's not your, your thing. It's not my thing. And I realized this is why I outsource it. It's not my thing. She whipped it up in like a minute and it was beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's important to know where your strengths are and where they're not and be okay with that. I mean, we're not going to be great at everything and that's okay. Yeah. That's why there's other people who are great at that, that you can find them. And you'll find out your passions. Like I could probably ask you a thousand story. you know, you would whip out a thousand storylines in five minutes and that's your passion. You're like, oh, you have a story here, 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 here. Yeah. And I'll do your business plan. Like I'll say, you can work like this, this, No. And I think it's a good point. Like, I think it's important to find your team, right? you know, to find people who that's their strength, that they love doing, you know, accounting or whatever it is that that's their gifting and finding those people. And then just kind of putting your little team together and you work well together. Like you can't possibly do everything. Yeah. It's like getting a little puzzle together and then all, and then it just all fits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love for you to also tell us about your book, your new book. I would love to. Yes. What's it about? When does it release? Okay. So the release date is August 27th. Ooh, right around the corner. Yes. And it's called Sweet Canary Jane. And it is the 10th book in my Mystic Water series. Wow. So the Baker's Man is number one. Thank you. So this is number 10. And it is about a disheartened confectionery woman who she makes chocolates. She's just down on her luck and she moves to this magical town of mystic water because she has been dreaming her whole life of opening her own confectionery. And she just basically puts all of it down and said, I'm just going to do this. So she's I like her already. She's a small business owner. She is. She is a small business owner. She doesn't know if it's going to work. She has no idea. Taking a risk. Yeah. She's just winging it. <laughs> but you know what? You'll be proud of her, Lindsay. She has a business plan. Oh, good. <laughs> so she shows up in Mystic Water and a series of things. She ends up homeless. She doesn't have a job and at the point doesn't think she has any friends. So then what she has to decide if she's going to continue to follow her heart and the chocolates that she makes just happen to change people's lives. So, Ooh. oh, okay. So it's about her following her heart, doing what she knows is right, regardless of other people think that her opening the small business is a good or a bad idea. She just keeps pushing through it because she knows it's what she's supposed to be doing. And yeah, sounds like a good lifetime script to me or Hallmark. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's full of chocolate, love and friendship. It's got some magic in it. So Magic chocolate. That would be such a good marketable product to go along. <laughs> I know. Speaking of chocolate, how do you celebrate the ending of a book and then also the birth of a book? <laughs> I like that adjective, birth of a book. Like when you send it out into the world? 
Yes. I want to hear, what do you do? Do you have a tradition that you do or? Gosh, you know, I don't. I, don't. <gasps> I know. You need to have one. Have you ever seen Romancing the Stone? And when she does <laughs> it, she, she throws that champagne glass in the fire. You yeah. got to have one of those. <laughs> I think what I've normally done is had like, my favorite dinner or favorite meal kind of thing the the day that it comes out. So what's actually the most exciting part for me is when I get the physical book for the first time in the mail. So they'll send you what they call a proof copy. And that's meant for you to flip through it and look at it. When that thing shows up, I get so excited because it's just wrapped up in its own thing and I'm ripping it out and I'm just so proud of it. I'm like, Oh, look how pretty you are. So that actually is like the point where I think, okay, I did a thing, (laughs) but yeah, I would say release day. Normally I just have a really fun, I guess, celebratory meal, but it's not even the same meal every year. It just kind of depends on what I feel like. And then this year, because we can't do an in-person book launch, I'm doing a virtual book launch party on that Saturday after the book comes out on Thursday with cookies and pizza and just doing like what we're doing right now, but with a lot of people and just doing questions and answers and just fun stuff to to make the most of the season. Such a great idea. And you've already built your audience, like your fans, like they're excited for that. Yeah. It's a fun, like, it's so different and I won't say strange, but from what we usually do that it just makes it interesting. It's a fun way to, when you can't go out to be able to still all be together and talk and yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. So this is like the first time I've ever done this as well. So it'll be an adventure. (laughs) Oh yeah. Hey, we're all doing (laughs) right now. This is our first podcast going on YouTube. So yeah, there we go. (laughs) Yeah. We're just trying new things. I would like to say, speaking of that, I already learned something like Jennifer, you've got your little, you know, pods in Liz, you don't have one. I got some 1980s, like, you know, headphones here that I just <laughs> took from my son's room. I'm like this. All right. See? So you need to upgrade that ash. You know, I was thinking I needed AirPods. I was like, gosh, I, I probably could have. <laughs> you know, this is what we got. We're just making it work. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on today. I learned so much. I can't wait to read your books and excited about the launch. Congratulations, and I'm proud of you for all you accomplished, and I'm so glad that we all connected on the gram. Thank you so much. Me too. Well, thank you all for having me. This episode is sponsored by Organic Tan Face and Body, a natural beauty and wellness spa located in Greenville, South Carolina, and owned by our very own Lindsay Holder. Come visit the spa today, where they strive to bring out your natural glow. Visit the spa online at OrganicTanFaceAndBody.com and follow them along on Instagram.